Welcome to Love Letters from Jesus, the podcast that brings you the Sermon of the Week, with your host, Pastor Ted Bojanic. Hello and welcome to another edition of Love Letters from Jesus. I'm your host, Pastor Ted Bojanic. Glad to have you here listening and finding our show again. We hope that after you listen, that you will give us a five-star review so that people can more easily find us. We are on Google Podcasts. We are on Spotify and Anchor Podcasts as well. So welcome. We're glad to have you. And our sermon from this past week had the theme, Who is Jesus? And as always, the sermon will follow my remarks. Who is Jesus? Is he your Savior? Is he your God? And the sermon text is from Luke chapter 4, verses 20 to verse 30. And in my remarks, I want to kind of go in a little different direction than the sermon goes. We want to talk about about cancel culture and how that really is nothing new. Okay, um, people have really, because of their sinful nature, been running away from the truth. And if they cannot run away from the truth, they want to paint it out or get rid of those who are speaking the truth. When you think of Old Testament times and all the prophets that God sent to his own people in Israel to persuade them to leave their sinful lifestyle, to leave their worship of the starry host, to leave their worship of idols. Some they invented, some they, most of them, they got from the heathen nations around them. They would worship them in, in so many perverse ways with, uh, prostitution, and all kinds of ways, even um, sacrificing, human sacrifice, sacrificing their own children to some of these uh, foreign gods, disgusting things that the true God of the Bible never asked anyone to do. The things they did in worship of these false gods go against the very commands that God wrote down on those stone tablets and gave to Moses. Those are not the way, those are not the things he wanted anyone to do. And yet, because of sin, sinful nature in us, sin in this world, this fallen world, and yes, there is a devil, 
people keep wanting to run away from the truth. And when someone sent by God comes to preach that, what did the people of Israel do? They wanted to ignore it, didn't they? They wanted to ignore it, so they would be also willing to kill the prophets. To kill the prophets. And not hear that word of God that addressed their sins. Because they were comfortable in their sins. They didn't want to hear God's truth. Then God would threaten judgment. He would threaten to destroy them or to carry them away. And finally, he did. He carried the northern kingdom away to Assyria, and they were never the same after that. And then he carried the southern kingdom, Judah, Judea, away to Babylon, and they were in captivity there for 70 years. What great lengths God had to go to to get them to pay attention to the holy truth that he had written down for them and to ignore the sin of foreign gods, of idolatry. Something I teach adults and children, whether in Bible class or in catechism class, is that God puts up with a lot from us, but he will not put up with second place in the human heart. God will not put up with second place. Our God tells us in the Bible that he is a jealous God. That's why the first commandment is first. Have no other gods before me. He's number one. He's number one. In our text today, we see that Jesus returns to his hometown of his boyhood in northern Israel. He goes to Nazareth, where he grew up, where people knew him. And in the end, it works out where, because of their sinful natures, they want to cancel him because they choose not to believe. How could this little boy we knew, the carpenter's son, how could he be the Messiah? This can't be true, even though he shows them from the scriptures that it's true. How can this be true? And what does he want? What do they want to do? They want to, they want to kill him. And that's exactly what they want to do. They want to kill him. They want to run him off the cliff. The very thing that their ancestors did, their forefathers did, to the prophets that God sent to them, both to northern Israel and to the people of Judah, they killed the prophets. And now God sends his son. 
and they want to kill him too. And this is Jesus who came to die on the cross to take away the sin of the world. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do, but in his heavenly Father's time. He is not going to die. He is not going to die when it is not time for him to die. He is going to die only according to his heavenly Father's will and timing. He read what Isaiah wrote about him in chapter 61 of Isaiah. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Or rather, excuse me, I'm reading from the wrong place. It's good to hear that scripture too, though. Jesus read from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He has proclaimed to them that what Isaiah wrote about so many years before, that this good news of the kingdom, this good news of sins forgiven, this good news of going to heaven, of being released from sin and being gift, given eternal life, that this is all true and all of this is being fulfilled through him. Wow, and that landed on them like a, a load of bricks. They couldn't believe it. In fact, they chose not to believe it. They would rather run him off the cliff that the town was built on than believe it. They rejected it. Jesus came to save them from going to hell. And they chose hell. They probably didn't realize it at the time, but that's what they did. And hell is real. It is a place of fire. It is a place of darkness. It is a place where the love of God is absent. Truly. In Revelation, God describes it as a, a lake of fire. And if hell was not a threat to us, he would not have sent his son, his one and only son, to save us from going there. The Bible again and again tells us that that would have been our destiny. So God sent his son to save us from this wrath of God that would have fallen on us. So Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 16 that has real benefit to us. I'm going to read some of this to you. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. 
At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. I think in our streets today, when we have so many homeless people, we probably see this kind of thing play out today. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. <clears throat> Excuse me. The rich man also died and was buried in hell, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. How miserable hell must be here Jesus is telling this parable to remind us that hell is real. Hell is real. The rich man had his whole life to believe the word of God, to believe in Jesus, and he did not. But the poor man, Lazarus, he had faith in God's son, and life really has nothing to do with your economic status. It has everything to do with, do you believe in Jesus Christ or not? Here, I'll keep reading. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. But besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm, like a canyon, if you will, has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Aha, if someone rises from the dead, if the dead beggar comes and goes and warns my brother, that will scare them enough into believing in Jesus. Now listen to Abraham's reply. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. That is, they have the Bible. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. See, it's not about smoke and mirrors. It's about God's word. And Jesus was there in front of 
the very people that saw him grow up telling them the truth that he is the Messiah, that he is preaching to them the truth. And they were rejecting it. Salvation is by faith in Jesus. Salvation is by faith in Jesus. He wants them to go to heaven. He came to save everyone from going to hell. How disappointing it is when we try to share the message and people that we love so much don't want to hear it. They'd rather talk about the weather. Here, listen to this from John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. See, you got to believe in him. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. If that rich man had believed in Jesus, he would have had eternal life along with the beggar. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came to save everyone, to save the people in Nazareth, to save the people around the world, to save everyone. And then verse 18, whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, that is, is not condemned to hell. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Salvation is by faith in Jesus. Now, these are Jesus' own words in John chapter 3. He's making it very clear. And this is the very clarity that he gave to the people in Nazareth. And they didn't want it. So don't be surprised that there are times when you share this clear message to people and they don't want it. God works through the word. We simply deliver the message. So who is Jesus? There are people who will say he's a historical figure. There are people who will say he was just a teacher. But the scriptures declare who he is, that he is God, that he is the savior of the world, that he is the one you need to put your faith in, and that by faith in Jesus Christ alone, you are saved and going to heaven. And that's the great news that God gives to us. And that's the message I wanted to share with you today. If you have thoughts on what I've shared with you today, I hope you will take the time to send me a message or to leave me a verbal recording. I'd be glad to hear from you or to read what you write. You are welcome to do that. The sermon is up next. Have a good listen to that, and uh, we'll, we'll be with you next time. God bless you. Grace and peace to you 
In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Word of God for our sermon today is recorded to you in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning with verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his, own, in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah did not, was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. These are God's words. Who is Jesus? Is he your Savior? Is he your God? When I started in the ministry, I arrived at Civic U, Arizona. And after being commissioned as a missionary and installed as a pastor, the very next hot day in August, I had a funeral. For a man I didn't know. And I sat there waiting for them to bring the body. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And it was almost two hours past the time the funeral should have started. And I was feeling distressed. And Pastor Arthur Ginther from White River, who was the circuit pastor at the time, was on his way over. And he was late too. And I'm like... What is this? So he arrived, and about the time he was arriving, there was this woman walking up the driveway to the church. Mrs. Danford, when the funeral was for her relative, Samuel Danford. And she came to bring me the news that they were going to conduct the funeral down by the river where the wake was. And she simply said to me, Samuel never liked going to church. And since that's true, we're not going to drag him in there dead. And then I thought, okay. We'll have the funeral outside. And Pastor Arthur again had the biggest 
biggest belly laugh. And he said, that's just the way they are. That's pretty common sense, wouldn't you say? And he explained to me that we just go with the culture and we preach the gospel wherever we get the opportunity. And then we'll go with them wherever they decide to bury this guy and we'll, we'll bury him. And later on, we sat down and had a nice conversation and he, he said, in the ministry, a lot of people are going to disappoint you. And he said, and that's just not the ministry, but that's life. A lot of people are going to disappoint you. You're going to preach the gospel and they're not going to want to hear it. People that you wish would listen and rejoice in Jesus with you, they're going to have a negative reaction. They're not going to rejoice in Jesus. So, don't let yourself get too high or too low, he said. Just know that you get to preach the Word of God. And God is with you. But people are unpredictable. And they're going to disappoint you. Some will disappoint you. Some will make you happy in life. But when they disappoint you, know that you're still doing God's work by preaching the gospel. And that's what you're here to do. Whether they listen or fail to listen, you're doing God's work. And that's what happened to Jesus. He went to his boyhood home. He went to Nazareth to preach the gospel. Nazareth is a small town, really, in northern Israel, in Galilee. And he went there to preach to them the gospel of the kingdom. To proclaim to them the good news. To identify himself as Christ, the Savior of the world. That God had come to them. He read to them from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He read these words and then he explained them. And then he sat down and explained to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, dear friends and brothers and sisters, and those of you who have known me from the time I was a little boy, I'm the Messiah you're looking for. I'm the one the prophet's talking about here. I'm the one that has the Spirit of the Lord on me. I'm the one that was anointed to come here and preach good news to you and to all of Israel. 
and to proclaim to you the forgiveness of sins. And to proclaim to you that by believing in me, you will have eternal life. And at first, they were very impressed. And they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. But as their human nature and their sinful human nature took hold, they began to think and say, we saw him grow up. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't he a carpenter? Where did he get this wisdom? We know his mother, Mary. In fact, Mark, in chapter 6, records it this way. Where did, the man, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that he has been given? That he even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So, in Luke's account, he takes them into the Old Testament and gives them a couple of examples. Surely, You will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Capernaum became the center for his Galilean ministry. Jesus worked out of Capernaum. It was in Capernaum that he found Peter and Andrew. He spent a lot of time in Capernaum. Capernaum was only 40 miles from Nazareth. Did you know that if you went to Israel today, there's a Jesus trail that you can hike from Nazareth, which is just a pile of stones today, from Nazareth to Capernaum, an ancient Capernaum. There isn't much there. It's a tourist trap. But there is a hiking trail in between them today. And you can walk the path that Jesus took because he left this place and he he hiked back from Nazareth back to Capernaum. So it's 40 miles. And the the, uh, proverb is saying, first make the medicine work for yourself and then for us. That's what... If a doctor had an open wound on himself and he's trying to treat somebody with an open wound, the person with the open wound would say, okay, doctor, first use the medicine on yourself and heal yourself. So 
Jesus is saying, surely you'll quote to me, do miracles here just like you did in other places. And he didn't. He healed just a few people. They had an amazing lack of faith. They refused to believe in him. And he rebuked them for their unbelief. He goes on to tell them, I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and a severe famine, and there was a severe famine in the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now if we review that, we understand that under the leadership of Ahab, Israel was led astray to worship Baal and other false gods. In fact, they had ordained 400 prophets of Baal at one time, and even more, who later were struck down during the time of Elijah the prophet. So, Israel had fallen into unbelief during the time of Elijah the prophet, and he proclaimed the truth to them. It was rejected because of their heathen king. And for his own safety, God took his prophet and put him in a a heathen land where he would be safe and put him in the house of the widow at Zarephath, who was a believer. She trusted God's word. And she trusted enough that there would be enough to eat if she made a cake of bread for the prophet. So she trusted God. Feed me first, Elijah said, and there will be enough flour and oil for you and your son. She trusted God. So what Jesus is saying in this Old Testament example is, when Israel, when the people of Israel had turned their backs on God in unbelief, God took his prophet into a foreign land to a believing foreign woman to keep him safe because there was no faith in Israel. So that made the people upset because, well, Jesus here is rebuking them for unbelief. Unbelief is what separates people from God. Unbelief is what can damn you. Unbelief is what sends people to hell. It's not that you didn't do enough good works because we're not saved by good works. We're saved by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. And if people do not believe in Jesus Christ, then they're damned. We've been exploring this in our Bible study on Tuesday nights that one of the most important things in life is that you you die in faith. That you have faith your entire life and that you arrive on your, to your deathbed in faith. Believing in Jesus Christ when you die. How important that is. 
to be a believer. Hell is a terrible place. It is full of fire. It is full of darkness. God's love is absent from that place. And unfortunately, people go there every day because they do not believe. They do not believe. And I think most likely we will be meeting, if anybody goes there, you'll be meeting people from Nazareth there. But none of us are going there because we are believers. We believe in Jesus Christ. And what a sad thing that these people who saw Jesus Christ grow up are rejecting Him as the Messiah. But He made it very clear. They refused to look at the Word which He explained to them and they were fighting the power of that Word that was going to work in their heart and they're fighting off the Holy Spirit working through that Word because their heart was so full of this guy can't be in. I saw him grew up. Their heart was so full of rejection. And then he gives them another example from the ministry of Elisha. And he tells them in the time of Elisha the prophet, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Why? Because they were not believing in God. God's not going to reach down His hand and cleanse people who do not believe in Him. They were praying to idols. But if they had prayed to the true God, He would have healed them. Only Naaman, the Syrian, you remember that Old Testament story, he had a little girl slave from Israel, and he said, only if if only my my master, Naaman, would pray to the Lord. And it calls for Elisha, and Elisha tells him, you need to dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. And he's arrogant at first and doesn't want to do it. But finally he does it and he's healed. And God wins Naaman's heart. And he's, he believes. He believes. This Syrian believes. So he's healed and a lot of Israelites are not. Why? They're still in unbelief. So he gives them two examples from the Old Testament to point out to them, now is the day to believe. Now is the day to let go of your unbelief. But they weren't convinced. All they wanted to do is kill Jesus. And they ran him out of the synagogue, and they wanted to take him and throw him off the cliff. Incidentally, if you took the tour of Nazareth, you can go to that cliff. There was a Wells pastor who took a tour with Wells people to to Nazareth, and they sat on that very cliff and had a devotion. The very cliff they tried to throw Jesus off of. They sat there and looked down, and there's probably a town down below now. But Jesus wasn't thrown off that cliff. They tried to. He used his godly powers 
to get away from them. They never laid a hand on him. He simply walked away and left that place. Oh, the rejection. Yet people are still rejecting Jesus yet today. Still still disappointing the hearts of those who share the gospel by saying Jesus is only a teacher. Jesus is only a man. They don't want to say Jesus Christ is God. They don't want to say Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. But the Bible declares him so. Matthew writes in his gospel that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us, he explains. Jesus Christ is God. The Christmas angels declared him, your Savior is born. It couldn't be any more clear. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Jesus Christ is your God. He has come to take away your sin and your guilt and your shame, to open heaven to you. Put your faith in Him alone. For we are saved by God's grace, that is His undeserved love, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Let us not fall into the trap so many in this world fall into, And simply say, oh, Jesus Christ is just a historical figure. Jesus Christ is simply a teacher in history. No, he's much more than that. He's God. He was there at the creation of the world. He is there holding all that exists together. Without him, nothing is formed that has been formed. Without him, there would be no life. Without him, none of us would be here. Jesus Christ is your Savior from sin, death, and the devil. And because of him, you have eternal life. He died on the cross and his blood was shed to wash you clean. And the good news is that by faith in him alone, you are going to heaven. And you will see him face to face. And he will wrap his arms around you and welcome you into the heavenly reward he has won for you. In a world of doubt, be a person whose heart is convinced that you are saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. To God be the glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to Love Letters from Jesus. I'm your host, Pastor Ted Bojanic, and I look forward to you listening again, once again. If you liked our podcast, please give us a five-star review. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Anchor, or Google Podcasts. Look forward to having you listen to us again. Have a great week.